You got your Bibles? I hope that you do. If you don't, turn them on. Uh, if you don't have them physically with you, turn them on on your phone uh, some way. I want you to be able to open the Word and be able to see the Word. You know, it's amazing how the Word of God is relevant and right where we need it. He meets us where we need it. Uh, this week in Vacation Bible School, the, 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 the uh, actual... Uh, verse that they were memorizing was out of Hebrews about being surrounded such a great cloud of witnesses. And so this week or this summer, we've been walking through a series and we're still walking through called By Faith. It's called By Faith. And we're out of Hebrews chapter 11. So I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And in here, we're talking today uh, about what it looks like to have faith and to walk in faith. Uh, you know, I, I grew up um, in a little church in Greenville, Texas, and uh, heard the gospel, uh, heard it through a vacation Bible school, heard it through youth camp, pray for our youth. They're going, on, they're going to student camp in two weeks, and uh, man, I think we have close to 70 folks, about 50 students, about 20 adults. Uh, I, I'm just, listen, this month is next-gen month. And I am so thankful for this church investing in the next generation. Um, so I, I grew up in a little small church where I was invested in, in student ministry. And I'm so thankful for what I received. I uh, received a, a call to ministry when I was 14. I didn't fully understand what that meant. Uh, by 18, I was trying to tell my youth pastor how to do student ministry. Maybe you have seen somebody do that before because I thought I knew what should be happening. Uh, he was a wise guy. I don't mean like a smart aleck. I mean, he was a wise guy and said, we got to get this boy a church. And so I started serving in my very first church as a freshman in college as a, as a student pastor at Prairie Valley Baptist Church. This church uh, had all of maybe 60 people in it, uh, and I was their youth pastor. And uh, across the street from the church, as you would find in a lot of rural areas, was a cemetery. You know, back in the day, you and, and maybe even some you would see today, there are still churches that have cemeteries from them. And one of the reasons that uh, churches would put cemeteries near them one reason was is because they believed at the resurrection they want every, all the church members to be gathered there so that they would all raise from the dead when the resurrection of the Lord and they would be together as a body. Another reason is because they wanted and believed that as believers in Christ that we should be ever mindful of our death. You know, Mark Twain said there's only two things that are certain in life. You remember what those are? death and taxes. And as often as we think and talk about, and every week we talk about here at this place, we're, we're about finding life and living sent, finding life in Jesus Christ, and then being sent as his followers out. We talk about life all the time, finding life in Christ. What does it look to have abundant life? But you know what? I think it's time also that we have to think about our impending death. And now today that may hit some of you very close to home because maybe you're experiencing the passing of a loved one recently. Maybe you have someone in your family right now who is experiencing, they are, they are on death's doorstep. They're close to maybe meeting the father. Here's what I want. I, what I want you to know is that today's message is not for people alone who are old, 
or people who are ill. Today's message is for you and I that we, in the living, who are in the health of living, who are in the life of living, we need to also be thinking about the day that we do pass, the day that we do meet Christ as uh, in, in, in heaven. So today, I want us to spend a little bit of time in Hebrews, and then we've got a verse in Hebrews we're going to look at, and then we're going to go back to Genesis, because ultimately what we're doing is we're looking at Old Testament saints who have lived a very faithful life. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, we don't do a lot out of Ecclesiastes. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, I ask you to spend some time there. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Oh, did you catch that? It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all of mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. What he's saying here, what the writer is saying, is that in the house of mourning, we have to come to face-to-face with our mortality, and that in our life, in our living, we will take that and we will lay it to heart and we will begin to think on those things. So today, as we jump into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, Hebrews eleven we're going to talk about the Old Testament saint, the Old Testament man, Joseph. The Old Testament man, Joseph, I wish I had more time to spend with Joseph with you. He is such an incredible, incredible character. I was telling my wife today, he's probably one of those figures that would go on the biblical uh, Mount Rushmore, so to speak. Anytime you have a man who takes up nearly a third of the first book of the Bible in Genesis. In fact, if you want to, in just a moment, you're going to find Genesis. Genesis chapter 37, 37 through 50. Basically, Sands one chapter is all about Joseph. And we're going to go back there in just a few minutes. But what we're trying to see here is that Joseph, we're going to see today two things. Joseph lived a faithful life. Joseph lived a faithful life, but not only did he live a faithful life, he died a very faithful death. He lived a faithful life, and he died a faithful death. Now, I want us to be reminded really quickly about what is faith, because we're talking about faith. This is all about by faith. So what is it that, that, that we're actually trying to see? Look at Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is being sure of what we cannot see. We, we believe in gravity, though we cannot see it. We see the effects of it. You try to deny gravity, it's there. We have faith in gravity. We have faith in gravity. We know that it works. So it's being sure. It's being sure of what you can't see, but it's also having confidence in what you hope for. If I see someone... Uh, my hope diminished. If I'm hoping in Charlie, okay, well, I know Charlie, I see him, but true hope is this. It's being able to hope in someone that you can't see, that you don't or you're not able to see. It's being sure, it's being confident in Jesus Christ, in God alone. Do you remember us talking the last couple of weeks about how faith is no less than believing in God, It is a saving faith, but it's also more than that, that it is not just believing in God, it is believing God, a living faith. And you can't have one without the other. If you say you have faith without works, James says, I'll tell you, your faith is dead. So you can't just believe in God. You have to believe God, believe what he says, and you follow it and you obey it. You obey his word. And this is what we're seeing 
all throughout Hebrews chapter 11. We're seeing throughout Hebrews chapter 11, Old Testament saints, that great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before us. Some of you have grandmamas and granddaddies. You have great, great grandmamas and granddaddies. Who, you have aunts and uncles who have already died in the Lord faithfully, and they have lived out, and now they are cheering you on. Well, what we're going to see and what we are seeing in this, in this, in this chapter 11 is that great crowd, crowd of witnesses who lived faithfully. They didn't just believe in God. They believed God and they obeyed what it is that he called us to, what, what he commanded us to do and to be about. Today, we're going to stand in just a second in honor of the reading of God's word. And I, I have people ask often, hey, why do, why do we stand up? When we read God's word, I, you know, why, why, why do we do that? I, I did that growing up at a church. Maybe I was in a different tradition. Uh, Kyle, we've been doing this now for the last two years. And I, I hear us say that. Why do we do that? Well, one of the reasons that we do that is it's, it's a way of us revering God's holy word. It's a way of us, and when I say God's holy word, not just the Bible, but we don't believe that this book contains the words of God. We believe this is the word of God. It is his holy word. It is his, we believe everything in it from, from, from table of contents to maps, okay? <laughs> this is God's word to us. And so when we stand in honor of the reading of God's word, we're saying, God, we respect you, we honor you. You're also standing in a line of what has always been done. You know, the scripture tells us in the Old Testament that when they read the book of the law, the Bible that they had, it said they all stood. And the book of the law was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We don't make a stand that long, but we are going to follow in that tradition, and we're going we're to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. So if you will, won't you stand right now? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. says this, By faith, Joseph at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I want to read that again. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention to the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Amen. You can have a seat. Joseph's story is going to help us, I believe. I believe it helps us to see that a, a, a faithful life, a faithful life, one who walks in obedience to his word, is a pathway for a faithful death. A faithful life is a pathway for a faithful death. Now, I want you to pull one of your ribbons if you have it or something. Bookmark it if you're holding your, uh, if you're electronic. Put it in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And then I want you to turn back to Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're first introduced to Joseph. He's a 17-year-old uh, man. Now, what, what we fail to realize often is that 17, uh, as someone who gets to go on mission, I've been able to go, see different cultures. You realize a 17-year-old American has the same issues as a 17-year-old Indian? I'm not talking about technology. I'm not, same, same situations in Belgium, in Mexico. I'm talking about they sass their parents. They think they know everything. <laughs> Brothers and sisters argue. I mean, 17-year-olds are 17-year-olds, all right? Do you realize that American men have the same wants, hearts, desires as any other men across the world? Ladies also you know why? Because the Lord created us. 
the Lord has created us. And so we're introduced to him and we meet him as a 17-year-old young man. And so let's talk about his faithful life real quick. And we're going to do kind of a run here because I, I don't have, we have one verse in Hebrews 11 about Joseph. So what is it that he's talking about when he mentions him? Well, we're introduced to him, and we find out that Joseph is the son of Jacob. That means his grandfather was Isaac. That means his great-grandfather was Abraham. His grandmother was Sarah. So he comes from a line there. He, though, was Jacob, his father, who later became Israel. He was his favorite son, the Scripture tells us, if you look in chapter 37. Here's a 17-year-old man. He was the second to the youngest of all the, all the sons, all the children. He was the second to the youngest, and he was daddy's favorite. He was so much so daddy's favorite that daddy gave him a, a bright, multicolored coat. Uh, now, uh, that would be like men for you and I uh, growing up. We got a bunch of brothers, and he gives you a 1980 Ford Pinto, and he gave your other brother like a nice... F-150, the year it was, came out, that, that present year. Listen, uh, uh, J- Jacob's sinful favoritism began to drive a wedge between his brothers. And, and I can imagine, I can imagine a 17-year-old Jacob not letting his brothers forget that he's daddy's favorite. Okay? Now, if you have children in here or you have grown or you've raised kids or you are raising kids, all of us, if you have multiple kids, there's probably kids that may identify and you identify with because you have some, maybe you have some of the same likes, you have some of the same desires, you enjoy doing different things. Uh, that, that's understandable. But let me, let me I want to, rule number one, daddies and mamas, there are no favorites among your children. Okay? Rule number one. Rule number one. Now, what you can't get away from is that every child thinks the other one is the favorite, right? <laughs> but you, listen, you, there may be some similarities. Listen, if you're a single child, you're the only child, you, you hit the jackpot, okay, in some ways. <laughs> if you cannot, and I, I really do mean this, Parents, we can fall for this if we're not careful. We'll begin to show favoritism to the ones who... We have the similar likes and those types of things. You begin to favor over, and and I need you to hear me, that will begin to drive a wedge between families and brothers and sisters and moms and dads and cousins and uncles. Listen, we love our children equally, equally. Now then that I have some grandkids, I need you to know, I, I love my grandkids equally, and they're not even a year old yet, not even a year old. Uh, But that favoritism began to drive a deep, deep resentment between those brothers. In verse 37, what we, or in chapter 37, we begin to realize also that Joseph is a dreamer, not just that he has like lofty ideas, literally he's a dreamer. He begins to have these dreams that the Lord is revealing to him some things because in the Old Testament, the dreams were revelations of the Lord. 
And so he begins to have these dreams. And you know what he begins to dream? He begins to dream that and begins to see that there's going to be a day when his family, his brothers included, they all come and they bow down to him. And now listen, he is 17 and he is probably overexcited and happy to make sure to let his brothers know, hey, one day you're going to bow down to me. He's not going to let them forget that. He's sharing what it is that's happening, but you got to remember the context of the family. There's deep resentment. This is daddy's favorite. And these brothers begin to say, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to seize an opportunity and we're going to take care of him. Uh, The beginning of chapter 37 tells us this, that he would go and make a report to his dad about what his brothers were doing. Here's the youngest running and telling off on the olders, and the report is not real good. So one day while they're out in the field keeping sheep, they're watching over the flocks. They see the young dreamer coming. And as the young dreamer is coming, they begin to say, listen, we're going to take care of him right now. How did they recognize him? Probably because of that multicolored coat. And their blood began to boil. Uh, Why don't we kill him? Why Why don't we kill him? No, we can't kill him. Well, here's what we can do. We can fake it. Let's just dig a pit and we'll put him in there and we'll figure out what we're going to do. So they literally did that. They dug a pit. They threw an old well. They threw him in, threw him in that well. And they began to think, what are they going to do? And it tells us that there's a, a band of foreign traders that were coming by. And they said, here's what we'll do. We'll take that coat. We're going to shred it up. We're going to dip it in goat's blood. We're going to tell daddy that his favorite son, he's now dead. And the way that he's going to, we're going to verify that. We're going to take the coat and we're going to say, see, he's dead. We're going to sell him to these foreign traders, these Ishmaelites, and we'll be done with him. And that's exactly what they do. Skip over the next wave here. I told you I don't have time to give you all of it, but he ends up in Egypt after being sold. He ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar, who is, has a level of stature within Pharaoh's, and uh, Egypt in Pharaoh's court. He, everything that, that he does, Joseph does, the Lord blesses everything. What he touches literally turns to gold, if you will. And as a result of that, Potiphar's house is blessed, the scripture tells us. He is so blessed, the scripture says that Potiphar's wife sees him as eye candy and decides that she wants part of the blessing. Joseph stands strong. He maintains and is faithful to the Lord in his faithfulness. In his faithfulness of the Lord, his strong assurance that God is in charge, even though my brothers hate me, even though I've been put in a pit, even though I've been sold, even though I'm now a slave in Egypt, I'm going to remain strong. I'm not going to turn back, number one, on my God, but number two, on on the one who is my master. Folks, I want to say this. Students, I want to say this. If you can't follow the leader, the, the, the master, the person that's in front of you, you'll struggle to follow the master, the savior you do not see. You see, we are under an authority. Some of us today, we don't like that word. There are documentaries that are blowing all of that around, but I need you to hear me. God has laid that out for us that we walk in faithfulness to, the, to who he's put us under to walk. And in doing so, it demonstrates faithfulness to him. So he maintains his faithfulness. But Potiphar believes his wife, throws him in prison. He's been in a pit. 
He's been a slave, and now he's in prison. The scripture tells us that while he's in there for, uh, he was in there for several years. We don't know exactly how long. It was more than two. We know that. But he was in in the prison. Uh, Somehow word gets back through a baker that he is, uh, or the cupbearer, the baker, it was the cupbearer who got word back to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh started having nightmares. Hey, there was a dreamer that I was in, the prison with, who interpreted a dream for me, maybe he can help you. Pharaoh pulls him out of prison. And you know what? Lo and behold, the Lord gives Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh's dreams, his nightmares, his dreams were all about famine, the nation, the country. There's going to be seven great years, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And because he was able to interpret that dream, you know what, you know what, you know what the Pharaoh did? The Pharaoh made Joseph second in command in all of the country. There was no one whose word was any stronger except Pharaoh himself. Here what we have, we meet him. Check this out. We meet him at 17. Most scholars will tell you by the time he is 30, he's now second in charge. He's been a brat. He's been in a pit. He's been sold as a slave. He was put in a prison, and now he's the second in command. Yet in all of this, what Joseph never, ever did was lose his faith in the one true God. You know why I believe I believe because he had heard the stories of his father Jacob and his grandfather Isaac, and he knew of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, his great-grandfather, and that he was a part of that. Folks, let me ask you this. Have you stopped for a few moments? I'm a repetition guy. I keep telling you this. Have you stopped for a few moments and said, how has God been faithful to us as a family? How has God been faithful to me? Where is it and how is it that God has moved when I didn't know there was going to be a way? Where, how did he save me? What are those points in my life? Because if you don't know those, you're not able to pass those on to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren. There's a reason that God told Moses, you write all these things down, you write them down. I don't want you to forget them because these are going to be the things that carry on for generations. These are going to be the things that encourage the next generation. Folks, you see, he never, ever, he had a sure belief. He had a conviction. He was committed to the Lord God. And in, the, and in this room right here, I don't know of any of us who have been in a pit, been sold as a slave. Some of you may have been in a prison before. But here's where we are today. We Many of us may be dealing with a medical situation. You may be dealing with a financial situation. You may be dealing with a death, an illness. You may have relational situations. And you're right now, you're questioning, is following God really worth it? Or you're thinking, God, where are you? Where are you right now? Because what I'm feeling and what I read aren't lining up. Well, uh, here's what I want you to know. God has not promised us a bed of roses. Well, really, he has, but we forget about the thorns, okay? Following Christ is about suffering. It's about suffering. All throughout the scriptures, we see where his people 
They suffer, and he walks with them. He walks with them. He carries them through that. He is in there with them walking through. He doesn't pull them out. He walks with them through. You see, in living faithfully, Joseph lived faithfully. He was a man who walked faithfully. So somewhere in the year 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, something along those lines of him being second in charge, his brothers show up because they're in Israel, they're in a famine, and they remember, or the word gets to them, hey, Egypt's got all this grain. And their father, Jacob, says, go and you see if you can buy some. Well, they end up in front of the second in command, their brother. They have no idea because he doesn't look the same. Remember, he's grown up now. He's, he's somewhere probably uh, close to his 40s right now. And most men don't look like they did at 40, at 40 like they did when they were 17. Wives, that does no, no amens, no poking or anything like that. And they start to ask for grain. Uh, Joseph recognizes them. He sees them because you remember, this, these are the men who did this to me. They see him. He sees them. He ha- Lord, <laughs> I've been faithful to you, and now you've been faithful to me. You brought my enemy right to my feet. Boy, can I... How many of you would struggle with that thought? <laughs> Boy, he's been faithful to me. I'm fixing to get mine on all of you. I'm about to take it out on all of you. (laughs) And yet, you know what Joseph says in verse 50 at the end of the book? In In chapter 50, verse 20, he says to his brothers, after a series of revealing himself to them, they are scared, they're shaking in their sandals, they're not sure what's gonna happen. He says to them, hey guys, listen, I forgive you. What you meant for evil towards me, God meant for good so that I could be here to save my family. So that I might be the instrument. You see, in all of that, even when he had the opportunity for revenge, he walked faithfully. It's obvious that his faith affected the way that he lived. Genesis chapter 50, verse 22 and 23. Read that with me. Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 and 23. So Joseph remained in Egypt. This is following his house, all of his family coming. He remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh. They were counted as Joseph's own. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh were his children that were born there in Egypt. He took a wife and, and he had children. It says to the third generation, he saw not only his children, but his children's children's children. He was a man who lived faithfully. After all he'd been under, all that he had been through, it would be easy for us to understand him being a grumpy, bitter old person. You realize the disposition that you presently have, barring the move of the Lord and you saying, God, I'm going to submit this to you, is the disposition you're going to have when you're on your deathbed. If you're a bitty, bitter, grumpy person right now, nitpicky, not a happy person, You may be thinking, that's not me. Ask somebody around you because we don't see. 
Seriously, we can't see, we, we, we don't see our blind spots. We don't see our blind spots. And here, he could have, after all of these things, we might understand that. But this is not what happened. Notice here, he says that he saw Ephraim's children. Do you know Ephraim means God made me fruitful in my suffering? That's what Ephraim means. God made me fruitful in my suffering. Manasseh means making to forget my suffering. Listen, God doesn't wipe our memory hard drive like we do an iPhone. We still have the memories, yet the way that we walk through them is to submit them to him, to submit them to his word, to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and ask him to change, mold, reshape us so that we, in the midst of what we're walking through, and right now in this room, we're probably walking through 150, 160 different things. There may be some overlap in some areas, but because he creates us as individuals, you're experiencing them all a little differently. And I need you to know, I want you to know that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered and submitted your life to Jesus, you, by faith, can walk through that and come to the other side. Because of the confidence that you have in him, Because you know that his word says that you are more than an overcomer, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that because Jesus himself suffered, why would we think that we would get away, we would get out from suffering? But we are able to walk through that with our faith based on the word, not on the circumstances by which we are seeing. And Israel didn't randomly become slaves in Egypt. I want you to know that. (laughs) They didn't randomly become slaves. God had already told Abraham this was going to happen. Turn over to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14 say this. Then the Lord said to Abram, Abraham, said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be affected, afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. You see, God had already told Abraham, Abraham, listen, all your descendants, those numerous stars, those sands of the sea, they're going to go into a foreign land. They're going to be servants. They're going to be slaves. But know this, I'm going to bring them out after 400 years. And 400 years later, Moses comes onto the scene by the hand of God and walks them out. Yet in all this, Joseph, yet in all this, Joseph lived a faithful life. Notice the second thing, and I have just a second for this, that he died a faithful death. He died a faithful death. Genesis 50, 24 and 26. Look at Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 26 says this. And Joseph said to his brothers, the one who sent him into slavery, (laughs) he said to them, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. God will. You get that? Not maybe, not might. He says, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to great granddaddy, to Isaac granddaddy, and to Jacob daddy. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. 
So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and put him in a coffin. Put him in a coffin. Do you remember in chapter, turn back over now to Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 22. You remember what it said there? 11, 22 on the screen there. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus. You see, what he's talking about in Genesis 40 is the Exodus that Moses was going to lead them on. The Exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bone. You see, by faith, Joseph said, listen, great-granddad, granddad, and dad said, the Lord's going to, remove, going to take us out of here. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. And when we go, when we go, when all of you go, don't leave me here. Take my bones back to the promised land where the Lord has promised. Take me back there. And Sure enough, 430 years later, Moses, as they get ready to leave that night of the Passover, they take the coffin, they take the bones of Joseph and take them back to the promised land. You see, this is a man who had faith. He knew no matter what came that the Lord God would be faithful. He had seen God's faithfulness to his great-granddaddy. He had known the grand, his granddad. He knew his dad, and he knew they weren't perfect. Yet, he clung to the faith of the one true living God. Folks, today, you that are in here who have surrendered and submitted your life to Jesus, who are walking through muck and mire, Psalms tells us that he will pick you up out of that muck and mire and he will set your feet on a solid rock. He will do that. Yet, he's called us to be faithful to him. And you know what the great thing about Jesus is, is that even when I'm not faithful, he is. Not because of what I do or didn't do, but because of his great name, because of his steadfast love endures forever. He will be faithful to the covenant that he made, whether I keep it or not. But I do want you to hear me that as a follower who has claimed his name, I want to walk in faith. And I know that you do too. Listen, we don't like to talk about death. Well, we definitely don't like to go to graveyards. It's kind of a love-hate. You want to go, you want to see the loved one that you have there. That Go to remember. But we don't like to stay long. We don't like to think on that. But I, I need you to know, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Because we have to think about how am I living today? What is the legacy of faith? Am I walking in faith? Am I being faithful? Listen, Joseph knew he was secure. He was sure. He had faith. He had confidence that God would come through because he had heard the old, old story. He knew the covenant that God had made. And yet that called him to stand strong. Listen, our final words one day, our final words don't need to be remember me. They should be remember my Jesus. Listen, our final words need to go along the lines of something along the lines. Hey, I'm handing you the baton. Do you know what would even be better is that we don't wait for those to be our final words. We start talking about that now with those who would go behind us. 
that we start talking about, listen, our God has been faithful. Let me tell you what he's done in our family. And I want you to know that he will do the same thing to you as you live out faithfully, as you walk, as you surrender to him each and every day. This is the God that we serve. This is what it means to live faithfully. My experience getting to walk with people who have either laid someone to rest or who are dying, they're about to go be laid to rest, is this. What we talk about in our living will be the things that we talk about in our dying. Let me ask you this. What are you talking about today? If we prick you, what's going to come out? You know, you get an orange, you cut an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. It's just natural. I want you to know that real faith can free us to face our death. Real true faith. Faith that is sure, secure, and confident. In God's word. Today, I want to remind you of this, is that we serve a truer and better Joseph. His name is Jesus. He became a servant to serve so that we would no longer be captive and in slavery to sin. Our true and better Joseph Jesus, when we sell him out to follow our sin, you know what he does? He forgives us. Just as Joseph looked at his brothers, he said, I forgive you. Our true and better Joseph, Jesus, in his suffering, he stood strong. In his suffering, he stood strong. He knew this is the Father's will. In fact, he even said in the garden the night before, if there's any other way, Father, let it pass, but not my will, but yours. He didn't escape the suffering. He walked through it. And by him walking through it and us now coming as those brothers and submitting to him, we get welcomed in to his new land. And I need you to hear me. Just as Joseph told his brothers, I don't know when you're going to the promised land. God said it's going to happen. God said it's going to happen. I need you to know, God's already told us. The son's already told us, I'm going to return again. And I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to be with me. But that's only for those who know the true and better Joseph, Jesus if there's not been a time when you've surrendered by faith, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, when you, it, until you do that, you're still in captivity. And today I call you to freedom, freedom in Christ by faith. Father, I love you. I magnify you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for him dying on the cross. I thank you, Father, that he came to serve and then forgive. 
I thank you that today he reigns. As Joseph sat on his throne today, our true and great Joseph, greater Joseph, Jesus reigns on the throne. Holy Spirit, today, would you call to life those who do not know you? Jesus, we trust you. We honor you. And it's in your name we ask these things today. Amen.